welcome to Beyond the Fog Radio. And we are on a very short break so that we can re so that we can record new episodes for you. But we decided to have you listen this week to Nizar Mubarak, who is the chef at Florio's on Fillmore Street. And he is super, super awesome. Yes, and we can't wait for you to listen to him because his story is such the American dream story. You know, where the immigrant who comes to the United States and finds his way into the San Francisco Bay Area and creates a home for himself and also gets to add to the community. One of our favorite people to interview. Absolutely. And he's such a humble human. He's done so many things. Oh, we can't wait for you to listen to all the things that he's done. That's right. Don't give it away. (laughs) (laughs) All the things. (laughs) Enjoy this episode with Mr. Nizar Mumbarak. San Francisco is well known for its food culture. To say we are foodies does not even come close to describing how we spend our time cooking, serving, dining out, taking out, having food delivered, going on picnics, attending wine pairings with food, creating huge meals, shopping at specialty foods, shopping in farmer's markets, creating education around food, creating food as medicine, creating a million varieties of organic, classic, traditional, non-traditional. You name it, we've tried it in food. And trying to grow a certain type of tomato a billion different ways is really a normal conversation around here. This food-driven place we call home is home to so many wonderful restaurants that it's impossible to talk about just one place. However, we decided to learn more about a small restaurant that has been around for 23 years. Florio's is an Italian Mediterranean restaurant on Fillmore Street in Pacific Heights. Florio opened in 1998 and its owner, Doug Biederbach, owns Market Bar on the Embarcadero and Bix in the Financial District. Florio's executive chef is none other than a man named Nizer Mubarak. Nizer moved here from Sri Lanka about 15 years ago and takes his classic French training and classic Italian training and then mixes his secret punch, which is some Sri Lankan Southeast Asian spices. And what you have here is what every restaurant wants, a chef that can elevate their cuisine to a whole other level where patrons that's been coming for a long time go, what is that? I don't recognize that. That's amazing. Can I have the recipe? We can't wait for you to hear our interview from June 2021 with Nizer Mubarak. I'm Susan Brown. I'm Michaela Joy O'Shea. And I'm Jay Yee. You're listening to Beyond the Fog Radio our podcast about the untold stories of San Francisco's long history from the people that have helped shape it. Whether you're new to San Francisco or have lived here your entire life, join us as we share the stories of our city by the bay.
That is my favorite part in our series. Every time, it's about food. <laughs> <laughs> And unfortunately, consensus.、Uh, yes, this is true. This is true. I think we all love food. We have meetings around food. It's 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 our favorite pastime. And one restaurant that has been withstanding, still standing, and been a iconic restaurant in the Pacific Heights area is Florio's. Now. I've been there once. It's this really, really cool spot, right on the corner of an alley, right on Fillmore Street. You can call it classic San Franciscan cuisine, and it's just delightful. Have you have you guys been there? Oh yes, I have been there many times because I used to live basically around the corner. So I would that would be my walk with my dog then. And、yeah. I would stop in every once in a while and have a glass of wine, or I'd bring friends when they were in visiting from out of town. Florio's is a mainstay, as is the other two restaurants, Bic and Market Bar. Yeah, Market Bar is really fun. Bic's, and when you realize that the owner is the same person, you're like, oh yeah, because <laughs> it's like being in a traditional Italian restaurant with a more modern twist. It's totally fun there. Yeah, it's great. Michaela, it's this dark restaurant on the corner. I can't、yeah. remember the the street, but it's on Fillmore. Have you been there? It's delightful. Like a warm fall night, eating outside with some pasta and a glass of red wine is probably one of the best things to do、right? in that、it's, neighborhood. It's next to being in Italy itself. You know, I think that's what's so cool <laughs> about San Francisco is that you can really find food here. That is pretty close to experiencing it in the place, and I think that's part of the reason why I live here, and part of the reason why we all love being here is everyone is so well traveled, but we all want to live in the U.S., and so we create all this amazing food right here in our backyards. So, oh my gosh, yeah, I was so excited to be there. It's beautiful, beautiful classic restaurant. Now, what we have for you in this week's episode is really a story. About the American dream, you know, about an immigrant story who gets to be not only welcomed, embraced, but got to put his piece, his little special something, into a restaurant, and it's really changed how Florio's is doing in terms of their food. And it was a great pleasure to meet Nizer, and we can't wait for you to meet him. My name is Nizer Mubarak. I'm executive chef in the Florio. I'm excited to tell my immigrant story as a chef. Yeah,、know? and it's perfect because San Francisco is the gateway to the East, right? As New York, one could say, is the gateway, right, to the European side, right? right. So it's perfect because you know all three of us own our own. Independent, independent businesses, business. and during the pandemic, I was calling Susan, and I just read the New York Times, and we talked about Chinatown suffering due to the pandemic, and also、right. some of the anti-Asian hate、right. things that were happening.、Right. And I think either that same week or the week before, I started reading about oh, everyone's moving out of San Francisco. On one hand, people are concerned, but on the other hand, as a native to San Francisco, I said to Susan, "This is really an opportunity." Like it's an opportunity for next wave of visitors to come to appreciate San Francisco, 
is an opportunity for the next wave of people who want to live here. Because there's always going to be people who want to live here. It's just too beautiful to, to, to leave barren and empty. So we want to tell the history so we can ca- encapsulate it, capture it, and have people appreciate it. And uh, part of the arts and history and food and the immigrant stories is exactly what this is all about. So thanks for being on our show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. No, it's great. What is your immigrant story? You mentioned you're an immigrant. Yeah. From where? So I immigrated from Sri Lanka. Mm. I was born and grew up in Sri Lanka. And I immigrated to the U.S. in 2006 after I meeting my wife. Wow. Yeah, before we worked together at Tsunami Relief Organization in Sri Lanka, in my hometown, Gaul. So my hometown was really badly affected by tsunami in 2004. There was a lot of international communities, you know, they're trying to help the local people because the Gulf is a historical town mm. because of the colonization. You know, we have a Dutch and Portuguese and British. We went through three colonizations, so they have a little towns from a European town. And they welcomed the international community to come and help because the government and the local community, they're overwhelming. They're not sure how they can rebuild the country. Right. So I, after the tsunami, I lost my job. And What were you doing at the time? I was a chef at the, one of the luxury villa in Fort. Which oh, It's wow. a historical town. And... I joined this Project Goal 2005, which is run by uh, international volunteers. Mm. So we got a lot of fun from like World Vision, USAID, and Norwegian refugee com- community. And so there's a lot of different NGO projects involved, and they <coughs> funded this project run by foreigners, mm-hmm. yeah, mostly Europeans. So my wife heard about this, and then she came to help. Mm. And I worked in the same project with her. Yeah. We worked together, and then we met, you know, we fell in love, yeah. and then we got married in Sri Lanka, and then we decided to come. My wife wanted to come home, so she brought me in to the Bay Area. Home? Yeah. Is, is I fell home. Is she from the Bay Area? Yes, she from oh, the Bay Area. She's from the Bay Area. Oh, yeah. She's American. White American girl. Okay. Yeah. So I'm here now. <laughs> You've been here since 2006. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. So how do you like it here? It's great. It was a little bit of challenging at the beginning because I wasn't a native English speaker. And I didn't know anyone then, my wife and her parents. And I didn't have any work experience to get a better job here. So at the beginning it was a little struggle, but I went through it. I started studying language from community college and started studying from kitchen management and small management and started working for some of the great chefs in the Bay Area and started learning a lot about cooking and execution of food and tasting a different type of food. And so I moved up to be in the top now. And I really enjoying my life being a chef in San Francisco. And I really appreciate that opportunity in this country had created for immigrants. What chef did you work for when you first arrived? <clears throat> I first arrived, you know, I print out some resume and trying to drop off the different restaurants. And then I started looking for a job on online. 
and I apply and join online jobs and I got a first response from East Bay Mart's headquarters cafeteria. So they offered me a job and I took it. I was excited for my first job, but the job was pretty boring because it's, this is a cafeteria, just we're doing lunch only and then just a salad and sandwiches. So after working for a short time, maybe three weeks later, I found a new job. It's also in downtown Auckland, a small lunch restaurant. That job was a little busier than my previous one, so I was excited to learn how to work in the busy environment. And I was able to learn the system of the kitchen that in the United States, the American restaurant system, how it worked. But out of the blue, and I got a call from executive chef Scott Sasaki from Garibaldi's and College Avenue. So I remember I have dropped off my resume maybe a couple months ago. So he called me to call me for the interview. So after interview, he brought me in for staging for Friday night, which is the busiest night in the week. And I think I did a great job. And after the stage, my the end of the night, he sat down with me on the table and asked me what I'm looking I opened up myself and I said, all right, this seems like he's a nice person. He's a great chef. I can say from his face and his action. And I opened up and I told him the truth, you know, I'm new to this country. I want to be a chef. I want to learn. I'm fast learner. That's what I'm looking for. I want to learn to be a chef. And he told me, you are in the right space, right, right position and right place. And he offered me a job. I took a job as a line cook in Garibaldi. It was a pretty exciting job because Scott Sasaki came from French Laundry and he started teaching me some of French techniques, French sauces, classic sauces like a pure blanc and making bernese. You know, I was so excited to learn from him. And he had the great chef de cuisine. His name Shane McNally. He has a great roots of Italian cuisine. So he started to training me all the station how to execute food. So I was so excited to learn. And I was very proud to be part of that team because I'm still less than three months being in the United States. But I'm with this great, strong team. You know, it's made me a lot of confidence. So during that time, and I had a second job. I worked in a duck club restaurant at Lafayette Park Hotel. So I started work as a line cook. And I moved up in less than three months, I moved up to be a lead line cook because of, I was passionate about cooking, I'm excited, and fast learner. So I was excited to take this new position as a lead line cook. And I think executive chef Chuck Country gave me a great opportunity to improve myself as a lead line cook because I have to create daily special for my guests. So I started to experimental and you know I started exploring the kitchen and trying to find interesting ingredients and create something and then put in the plate to serve with a lot of love. So people love my food and I got a lot of compliment about my food. So I think I did a great job and I was pretty happy about my job. My boss was happy about my job too. So by the time Garibaldi's chef promoted me for to sous chef position. 
because I feel like I work all the station, I run all the station, ex uh, food preparation to execution. So next step is taking management position. So I was excited for my first management position at Garibaldi's in College Avenue. After a few years later, Garibaldi was sold because that 2008, this economic crisis, the restaurant started to suffer. So then I moved to sister, Garibaldi's sister restaurant, Marzano and Park Bolivar. So I took uh, as a sous chef, my second job as a sous chef at Marzano, and I worked well with executive chef Rob Hall. And I acquired his Southern Italian culinary tradition. I was enjoying learning Southern Italian cuisine from him. So I enjoy making like a, making frastas, making raviolis, and stretching fresh mussel balls. And it's something new, and I was so excited for that. Sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So by the nine two thousand and seventeen. They closed the restaurant. By that time, we had a, our first daughter. So I thought this is a good time to focus on family. And I took some time off. So once I'm ready to go back to work, I apply job at Bocanoa and Jacqueline Square as a sous chef. And I got after John ja executive chef John Jackson interviewed me and he offered me a job. But it's not just a job offer. I have to go through several steps as my interview. So after I meet him and after interviewing him, he has set me up for tasting menu for the restaurant owner, Rick Huckett, and his wife, Meredith. So I was kind of nervous because this is something new to me because I've been working Marzano and Garibaldi and, uh, and Dark Club. It's all my experiences, Italian and French, Mediterranean and Californian. But the Bocanola was it's a Pan-American Latin cuisine. But I was confident. I thought, okay, I can make some great dishes to test these people. It doesn't matter whatever. So I went up there and created focus of uh, testing menu for them. They test the food and then they highly recommended my food. I remember Rick said it was the best lamb dish he ever had. I made it for meat course at the testing menu. So they offered me a job, but not the sous chef, but the chef de cuisine. Yeah, so that was a big jump for me. Yeah, and that's exciting. Yeah. So I was excited to learn this new cuisine, Latin American cuisine. So I started digging in more and more deeper and started reaching in more traditional Latin recipes and started exploring a lot of new dishes and putting into the menu. And I enjoyed working in the Bocanoa. The Bocanoa chef left a few years later. So I was promoted to be executive chef for the Bocanoa. Wow, and that's great. Yeah, so I was excited for my first executive chef position. So they, I, after the few years, and Rick decided to take a little break after he broke out from uh, Lee's agreements, he closed the restaurant. 
So, and by the time we had the second baby, so again, it was a great time to <laughs> focus on the family. Focus on the family. Time, Why time not? Was good. That's yeah. <laughs> so, I took a good time off and spent time with my family. And again, I'm ready to go back to work. And I got a job uh, as executive chef at the Horner Cocktail Bar. Horner is uh, owned by Chalet Group. So, I was. Where is it? I don't know that. It's in a, an owner cocktail bar in uh, Emeryville. Emeryville, okay. Yeah, it's a chalet. They have a commissary kitchen and then owner cocktail bar in the same building. So after I took in as an executive chef at the owner cocktail bar, and I started to supporting the commissary, working with commissary chef. And later I started developing commissary's recipes. And I was excited to put some of my experimental dishes in the Chalet Group restaurants, like Park Chalet, Big Chalet, and Lake Chalet. Exactly. Oh. <laughs> nah, chalet restaurants, I got yeah. it. Yeah. Beach Park and uh, yeah, Lake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize beach was part of the park. It totally makes sense now. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's why they all call it Because I, I literally walk to the Lake Chalet. That's my walk with Robert. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's a great restaurant. Yeah. And a great company and good place to work. So, however, in 2018, I rejoined with Rick, who is the Bocanova restaurant owner. So, he was supporting Florio and Market Bar and Ferry Building. Okay. So, he needed help. And I thought I wanted to stuck with some fine dining and I wanted to get experience working in the city. Right. You know, I was kind of excited. So, and then Rick was... Uh, executive chef before he opened up his own restaurant in this Florio. I wanted to see where he's come from, what he have done. Right. And I was excited to meet restaurant owner, Doc, by the backs. So he owns the Florio, Marco Bar, and the Bix restaurants in the city. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. So this is... Uh, that makes sense. They owned by Bix. Right, exactly. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause when you think about the interior of all three of those restaurants, of course they go together. Right. Right? Yeah. They have the same ambiance. Uh-huh. Market yeah. Bar, yes. Florio, and Bix, of course. Bix has been around forever. Ever, yes. So I was excited about my new job as executive chef at the Florio. The Florio is such a beautiful restaurant, romantic place. Yeah, which is where we are here today. Yeah, can, yeah. You, just, can you describe it a little bit? Because this is a podcast people can't see. Yeah, so this is really, I can call, this is a neighborhood jam. This is, has been here for over 23 years. It has built up very strong, uh, local, loyal, customer-based business. It's felt, you know, it's made me feel like home for the first day when I walk into the restaurant. It was more welcoming and warm feeling, you know. Yeah. So it also has a great manager. His name is John Castellan. He had a build up this strong customer relationship with his community and local customers and then visitor customers. So I was excited to take a partnership with him. Yeah. And started on, you know, exploring my experimental dishes, using my experience from from Duck Club to Garibaldi and Marzano. So I was happy to be back in my, this European route. Yeah. You know? 
So I'm enjoying giving this uh, culinary opportunity for the, my guest at this Florio. That's great. And yeah. do you get a chance to put your own spin on the menu? Yeah, I have done some, you know, but every dish has a little touch from my Sri Lankan spice touch. Everybody is asking, <laughs> where the spice come from? How the spice balance? It was so great. So they're always the waiters telling the, the customers, yeah, because my chef from Sri Lanka. <laughs> yeah. So I have Bing. a little touch of love of my every food. In One of those dishes that people always comment on. You know, I'm doing this bouillabaisse, which is the uh, French-style seafood stew. Yeah, the bouillabaisse? Yeah, so I got a little touch and heat and nicely yeah. balanced. Yeah. And people love it. And I started hearing a lot of about from the customers. They were saying, this is the best bouillabaisse in the town. Yeah. So it's keeping nice. Because especially I thought about last year, this whole winter time. Yeah. People want to dining out. Yeah. So you want something to sweat. Yes, warm you up. Know? Just to warm yeah. up their body. So I start to, a little bit, a little bit adding, and I feel started getting a lot of compliments about it. Yeah. And I got a, started doing some spices, uh, spicy food. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm in my limits. This is a classic place. You know, you have a lot of customers. They yeah. like the classic food. So I, I have the big section for classic yes. French, Italian food. And also i doing my experimental dishes. So recently I put this pork cucinitas, which is Yucatan-style achote and citrus marinade slow braised pork shoulder. Like a cochinitas wow, yeah. that sounds delicious. It's in the French classic restaurant. Right. It's just selling out of the door. Wow. People love it. Wow. Yeah. So I said, oh, started to think, the people are here in the San Francisco, they are open for new taste, new flavor. Yeah. So I'm trying to introduce some new taste, new flavors for the customers. So I think it's pretty successful what I'm doing here and keeping up some French and Italian classic dishes and trying to introduce new dishes to these uh, my customers and Florio customers. It's amazing. Yeah. So what is the secret Sri Lankan spice to your bully base? A Sri Lankan spice secrets, you know, it's balancing the f the spice. It's not everything is too spicy. It's just spice. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's spicy. It's a coriander, fennel, cumin, and garlic, ginger, and fenugreek and mustard seed. Oh. That's create like a very aromatic spice blend Yeah, to balance the sweet and sour and then all the other elements. Right. So people enjoying it. Even I started doing at the, when I was starting doing at Bocono and Jackman Square, I started to getting a lot of compliments about the food because I found some of the similarities between Latin cuisine to Sri Lankan cuisine. When I started learning about the Brazilian cuisine, and I tested some of the dishes similar to my mom's cooking. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. And then I thought, all right, because Sri Lanka used to be Portuguese colony, mm -hmm. and then right. here go Brazil and Portuguese colony, so there is a connection. Yeah. So, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So I was so at then then I got more confidence to use my own spices. Right. This is not 
just the Sri Lankan spices. No. It's not just for Sri Lankan food. I could use any kind of food to make it taste better. Right. Yeah. So I have a bunch of spices in my pantry, and I make my own curry powder here, and I wow. make my own uh, Moroccan spice mix here. So I'm doing a lot of experimental dishes. Using yeah. It's fantastic. In a very it's classic a restaurant. In a yeah. Cla- yeah. And nobody knows. All they know is, oh, this tastes delicious. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what an American story that is that you get to bring a little bit of what you, your experience, your background, you add it and you complement what is already there and you enhance what, you know, what's classic and it becomes the next classic. It's so good. Right. It's, it's so good. You know, they, I think it's the people, it is, especially when you come to the city, it's just a very strong diverse city, you know, it's, strength of the city is the Java city. People come from different countries, a lot of immigrants. So there's a global food market in the city, you know. People right. have experience already. Sure. And people just enjoying this unexpected flavor from unexpected place. Yeah. So I think it's great experience for the customers and for, for the chefs too, you know. So what would you tell somebody who wanted to be a chef and just moved here? What advice would you give them? I would say, you know, it has to be patient and put the time in on learning. Either you find the good culinary courses or find a great chef to work for. You can trade off your time for free training, like work education. I have done in my past. And then you can even be self-educated person if you have access to networking. Also, do what you feel like you feel happy and do with the love. If you don't feel like this is not the right job for me, and then please don't do it. And you all need to do it, do it put your time and good energy and being good positive uh, attitude and person and good personality. So that can take you somewhere where you want to be. Hmm. So it's all needed hard work and also your positive energy. Yeah, I think. That's good advice. Thank you. Because San Francisco is a very competitive city when it comes to restaurants. So how did Florio remain open during the pandemic? The last year was very emotional and challenging year for us. We all agree. And, but Florio has decided to stay open the door so that way our community can access for food. And even though our business was pretty bad, we were hopeful and we were positive that we, we could survive and we could come back our business back again. So we did a lot of adjustment to keep our door open. We adjust our menu to better accommodate takeout. And we changed our staff, so we pretty much, most of the staff, we have to let go. And we changed the menu pricing, so that way people can be more, it's to be more affordable to everybody to take, uh, to order food. And we change our business model 
you know, make much easier for customers to order online ahead of time. And also we took a partnership with the Dispert Food uh, Company, which provide still and still containers for takeout. Okay. So that's where food stay nice and warm and it's make something special for the customers. We went through a very difficult time. Now we're happy to see that all people are coming back, picking up our business. And, and you're serving inside now, right? Yes, we have uh, 100%, uh, 100% capacity inside indoor dining. 100% capacity now? Yes. Wow, yeah. I didn't realize we were there. Yes. Hooray. It is great. How it's does so, it feel? feels great. It's always packed. It's more like normal to me. Yeah, that's great. You know, it's no more mask, no more distance, and people are enjoying it. So, and also, top of that, we still have a parklet. We, it's made extra space for us. So, the business is doing great. We started picking up, and happy to say we are doing better than pandemic now. So, wow, that's great. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's really great. Can you talk a little bit about, I know you talked about the history of coming here with your wife and and being in the San Francisco community. We know now from talking to a few different chefs that the restaurant community in San Francisco is so tight and everybody knows everybody. Can you talk about your introduction to that chef community and and what that was like being from out of town and also English is your second language? Do you mind talking a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So when I started in San Francisco, you know, I got a lot of confidence because I already know some of my chef friends are working in the city. So I got some extra helps with staffing, you know, and and also, we always work as a community. You know, we started sharing, have staff, and also we started borrowing things. As example, to Florio and next door SQPR, we always cross over. They come, they borrow things from us, we borrow things from them. So it makes such a great community. You know, I really appreciate that. So rather than being competitive, you know, we enjoying being community of the chef in the city. So that's great opportunity for these new chefs coming in. And also <clears throat> there's a people around, it's like a local grocery stores, you know, we know them and we go pick up whatever need from them. So they recommend our the local produce, you know, and we buy them for the local market. So that's one opportunity for us to introduce a local product and also a better opportunity for them to sell their local uh, ingredients. Right, right, right. That's great. Where does your love of food come from? Uh, Love of food, definitely it's come from my mom. And my mom is an amazing home cook. She never worked. She worked at home. She would cook three times a day fresh food for a family of eight. So we are eight. Wow. Uh, yeah. So I'm a middle child. I have a two older brothers and three younger sisters. Uh, so she would walk to the grocery store, local grocery store, to pick up freshest ingredients at least twice a day to cook for family. And as a middle child, I remember I used to help my mom in the kitchen doing things like I created fresh coconut 
to make coconut milk and squeezing my hands to make a fresh coconut milk for coconut curries. I remember my mom used to have a big giant pistol and mortar. So I used to use that to make like a rice uh, flour or making fresh homemade curry powder. So my mom's kitchen more like a little gym. It's very noisy and heavy duty equipments in the kitchen. Like a gym. So it's a gym. <laughs> if you need Jane a knows all about that. Oh yeah. So you know. So so when we were uh, growing up, so we eating a fresh food every day. So we never had a refrigerator, no microwaves, no electronic kitchen equipments in the kitchen. It's all manual and old school. So my mom was always happy to cook for family and her friends and neighbors. She did because she wanted to show her love from feeding her delicious food. So she knows how to keep the family and make the family happy by putting the delicious food on the table. So I think I got that inheritance from my mom. So I connect myself to my mom. So I'm doing the same thing. I'm trying to make some delicious food and serve to the customers. Then one day eat, they're happy and that's make me happy. So I show my love from the cooking for other people too. It's so great. I love that. <laughs> that's so special. I think Thank the, you. I yes, cooking with love. I really, what we're also learning, I don't mean to bring this up, but we're learning on this podcast, talking to great chefs in the city is that it all starts with love and the family and right. cooking at home and pouring all of your love into it. Cause it, it does, it tastes better. It is. Right. It, Instead yeah. of just like slopping some stuff right. together. Here you go. Here's your yeah. food. You're like, yeah. no, this is, I put it in my mortar and pestle and made curry from scratch. And right. yeah, that's really. So she would do that every like, single day in the gym. In the gym. In the gym. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why the Sri Lanka women are very healthy of all this. Because everything is manual. You got to make your own spice powders and rice flowers. And there's no blenders, electronic blenders. So everything is using by old school. I think I have a great experience working in my mom's kitchen. And great biceps. Or what is that, your shoulder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, all the arm muscles. All the arm muscles. Do you find it difficult to find the right spices in San Francisco, or do you have spice shops or purveyors? Well, San Francisco is pretty easy to reach out any kind of ingredients. I remember when I immigrated to the U.S., I traveled. Before coming to California, I actually flew Sri Lanka to East Coast. And I traveled with my wife a uh, couple months in East Coast area. And my wife has an auntie and uncle, brother and sisters there. So every time I go there, you know, when they visit there, they wanted me to cook Sri Lankan food. But I was struggling to find the spices. You know, I had to drive miles and miles to find the fresh coconut and, you know, curry powders. But when I moved to California, actual Bay Area, and I surprised. I always go to this University Avenue in Berkeley. They have a huge Indian market for the right. South Asian spices. So I go to Bombay, Bazaar, they have the spice, 
all kind of spices, including Sri Lanka spices. Wow. This is in Berkeley? It's in Berkeley. Where in Berkeley? Berkeley University. University. Okay. And there's I used to call the one is the Milan. Okay. I used to go to Milan all the time, pick up fresh coconut, black Sri Lankan tea, cinnamon, pretty much you could find everything. And I'm going. And once you walk by, you feel like a smell. I feel like it smell like my home, my Sri yeah. Lanka, because I can see, smell it. And in San Francisco, you know, there's a lot of different other international ingredients you can find. You know, you have a Chinatown, we have a Japantown, Korean town. We have a mission. I go to mission to pick up achiote planting leaves to make my cochinita pea bill. It's like finding... Cochinita pea bill is my yeah. favorite. Sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> yeah. So we have, you know, we global and um, market here and easy to reach other than, you know, the different state you can't find. I remember my brother, older brother used to work in Italy. My mom used to send spices to Italy, include the coconut. Wow. She would, yes. Yes, a fifth, that's happened like 20 years ago. My brother was in Italy and she will packed up spices and another Sri Lankan ingredients they can find there. And then There's that's. no coconut in Italy. No, they couldn't by that time and 20 years ago. They yeah. might have now. Probably. Yeah. And but the same feeling uh, my mom thought when I immigrated here, she packed me back full of spices. I'm seriously, I had a problem with the, my custom. <laughs> then they open up and smell. Ooh, what is this? What are you packing, dude? Yeah. And I said, this is spices. <laughs> Why? It's too much. <laughs> You're like, I'm a chef. Yeah. So the, my mom thought, oh, you know, my older brother having a hard time to finding spices in Italy, Milan. So that's how I'm going to be in the United States. And so... Anyway, and she, after she came to visit us, I took her a trip around the Bay Area. She said, oh, you have everything here. That's great. So I think it's San Francisco Bay Area has always been great to find uh, for go- global market. Yeah. yeah. Watch out, Bombay. We're all right, coming. We're coming. We're <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're coming University. Out. Yeah, University yeah. over in Berkeley. Yeah. I love that. Oh, that's great. I'm happy to know that San Francisco provides for you. I had a feeling yeah. that of all the places in the U.S., we probably do a pretty good job. <laughs> so is your whole family great in the kitchen? Yes, we got headphones from my mom. So my mom's cooking, and then my both brothers were chefs. My older brother. Oh, went, really? Yeah. Wow. So my older brother went to Italy, and he worked in Milan for 17 years. My other brother, still, he's a chef at the cruise. He working at the Italian cruise company. So he was an executive chef at a British embassy in Sri Lanka, as a personal chef of British High Commissioner. And he was the chef job he'd done, luxury hotel in Sri Lanka. So this because while we grow up, we see what my mom doing and also the lifestyle of our historical town. You know, we had a lot of Europeans. We have a lot of luxury villas. And before becoming a chef, we started working with those villas. You know, managing villas and then started to learn 
cooking Western food for the Europeans. And then it's encouraging and inspired me to go to culinary school to learn more Western food. So we, all the, my two brothers, including myself, we follow the same way. And my three sisters, they are uh, great home chefs. They don't work. <laughs> they follow the way the mom does. They stay home. They cook every day for family and keep the family happy. Yeah, yeah. that's great. <laughs> I wanted to know what keeps you here in San Francisco as a chef. Because of the pandemic, a lot of people left. The restaurant industry was really hard. Is there anything specific that kept you here? It's, you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's this community is very special. So, as I say, I'm hopeful and we know we're going to get our business back. And our restaurant owner is a very great person. He always supporting us, taking care of us. So we stay focused. We're juggling our menus and staffing to yeah. keep the door open until, you know, today. We did such a great job to stay together as a community without leaving. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that was, it's so great that you didn't close. I was wondering, because looking around, a lot of places have closed. Yeah. So, yeah, even our, some of the restaurants around here, they'll close. And then we see it, we feel sad. And we thought, all right, next day they're going to move in, you know, somebody else moving in. So we were hopeful, you know, we said we could, get back our business back, and then get stay busy. Yeah. And how long do you think the parklets are going to last? Not sure. I think it will be a permanent, I hope. And I think the business owners will fight for it. And it creates such a beauty of Alfresco uh, dining feeling. And it's additional, new addition to the city. And it creates such a community between the pedestrian and then a diners. That's increased more opportunity to out dining outdoor. And also, like as a small business, there's a great opportunity for small, more extra space. Yeah, it's yeah. like having another room. Right, you know. More capacity. So when, yes, we have full capacity open, available inside, but we still, these pockets help our extra so that's generated extra, generated extra money in our business. So I think it will stay f uh, permanent. And then look at this walkway. How clean is it? Yes. Because business owners are taking care of it. Mm. Right. Good point. Right. That's yeah. a good, very good point. I didn't that's think of it. Yeah. yeah. So we clean twice a day. Wow. Yeah. We clean by the, the restaurant owner and all the small business owners. They're responsible for walkway. Yeah. yeah, we recently we got some nods from the city. There's a little patch on the wall, on the floor, on the, the ground, and just uh, said to fix it. So we fix it. So we are technically we are responsible for this walkway, and so we keep it nice and clean. It's better for the city and the environment, and it looks really nice. So I think the parklet should stay. Yeah. Yeah. It's better for everybody. Yeah. I love it. I love it too. Yeah. Me too. Even though there's less parking. That's yeah. the only thing. Well, it's less parking is always been a problem in the city. It's some, totally. not something new to me. No. I drive every day back home and I see this double park 
taxi driver, you know, or when I park the delivery mailman, they park so people learn how to go around. So it's not something new or nothing to do with the parklet. Yeah. So people start to learn uh, new ways to deal with problems. Now I think the city will be solve this problem somehow, but I don't think it's a big impact for the rev, for the parklet, for the parking problems. I agree. Yeah. People should drive less anyway. Yeah, of course. Thank and you so much for thank joining you for us. Me. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's been wonderful. Really great. So great to meet you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) My favorite part of the interview with Nizar was hearing about what he learned from his mom and how his mom put so much love into everything that she cooked. And I love that his mom sent his brother spices to Italy so that, yes. it, that things would be be super delicious. And I love that he grew up eating super fresh food with no refrigerator, no blender, no nothing, and that they had to make their own different kinds of spices. That is so cool. And he cooks with so much love. So that was my favorite part. Michaela, how was that interview for you? I agree with you, Susan. I Loved hearing about his background and how he absorbed everything from his mom and his family. And that seems to be a theme here in the city with these amazing chefs. They all have this deeply rooted family recipe background. And so it was really cool to hear about how he's morphed that into his own special cuisine here. And I I think what stood out for me most about Nazar was just him. When we walked in, he was dressed so crisply he had on a white apron he he was just so not for not stuffy formal but just very well put together he had notes he <laughs> he was you could tell that cooking for him isn't just an art but it's a way of life and he is so well trained and just a polite lovely gentleman and i i just really loved his way of life. He treats himself with so much respect and you can just tell in his presence. Anyway, <laughs> Jay, I'm sure you have things to say about his amazing food, right? I think the pun would be he's so well done. He's so well done. <laughs> there we go. He's so well done. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just hearing both of you talk about your thoughts on meeting Nizar, a uh, couple things. You know, I can just imagine in every immigrant home, parents send spices with them on their on the plane, and you know, talk about getting st- stuffed on TSA and go, "What is this powder? <laughs> or what is this thing? It's oregano, really? It's oregano. <laughs> it's just amazing, and the commitment behind making sure that your kids have a piece of home wherever they go. That really touches my heart. The other thing with Nizar is, like I said before, his American dream. Like, it's really, his story is an American dream. He fell in love with an American woman, came to the United States, and then worked his way in the restaurant industry. He didn't have formal training, but he tried, and he tried, and people took him in, and he worked hard, and he is where he is today because of 
not only his hard work, as you mentioned, Michaela, but the love and heart that he brought to everything that he did. And to be able to add the Sri Lankan spices to a classic bouillabaisse and then really elevate, it really is what San Francisco is all about. That is true. That is so San Francisco. And that is so what all of these chefs that we're talking to in all of our past episodes, That if you want to go back and take a listen to what we're talking about, how everyone that we're talking with is so rooted in family and creating their American life out here, listen to our past episodes from our website. We're at beyondthefogradio.com. It would be really great if you would subscribe. It's free which means it doesn't cost anything, but subscribe so that we can keep bringing you all of these wonderful, wonderful interviews. I mean, each week we listen to an interview and I get more excited. So please subscribe. You can hear our podcast on Google or Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcast. That's right. And next week we begin our next series, which is all about theater and film here in the Bay Area. And we can't wait for you to meet who we have in store. So thank you for listening. Until next week, take care. Bye now. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Fog Radio was created by us, Connor Chang, Tim Johnson, Tim O'Shea, and Arliss Hayes. Beyond the Fog Radio, all rights reserved, 2022.